Welcome to our Florida Gator subreddit podcast. This is Tofree Gator, and I am joined by Zlatan Diego. As always. As always. So we're going to do a, a review of the Tennessee game. The 31-point ass-whooping that we gave them boys yesterday. Oh, man. I'm wondering if they're still feeling it, too. Oh, I don't know, actually. <laughs> do, do they feel anymore is the first question. Yeah, it seems a little seemed a little listless. Yeah. So offensively, obviously Trask, um, he balled out. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's maybe balled out is a, a bit of an overstatement, but he looked good. Is it? Is it an overstatement? Um, he he really impressed me. He made uh, he made some kind of dumb throws, which we, as we alluded to in the last podcast, we expected that. A couple of them were just really bad. But overall, he was moving the ball and not just throwing it half a yard like uh, Felipe Franks or even Jake Fromm, for instance. He was actually throwing it 10, 15 yards downfield, finding open guys. And I was very impressed with him being poised back in the pocket. Yeah, as was I. Um, he did a really, I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was fantastic. There were only three or four plays where, I, you know, he really made like boneheaded mistakes. Um, you know, the, the two interceptions, obviously just trying to fit it into too small of a window. I'm trying, um, I'm blanking on the second. Um, I, I remember one interception where he was throwing deep to Trevon Grimes and the, and the safety was right there. He shouldn't have thrown that ball. Yeah. What was the other one? The other one? Uh, shit, I'd tell you if I, if I knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just to talk about the, the other one, the, the first one that I mentioned for a second, um, it's the kind, it, it, you know, it wasn't the greatest throw. I mean, it was a great throw right on the target. Uh, he shouldn't have made it. The safety was right there watching, but kind of a difference here is just situationally the interception. This one wasn't a killer. It wasn't at a killer time. He was kind of going for a, for a big play and it wasn't just, I don't know. I, I feel like Frank's interceptions just always seem to come at horribly inopportune times, inopportune positions, um, yes. or in inopportune positions. And I didn't feel that way with Trask, and I really wish I could remember the second interception right now. I needed to be ready for that, but it's... Yeah, I, I, I rewatched most of the game today, and I somehow missed the other one on the rewatch. Well, that's you see, that is how little that interception really affected us. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're not here devastated by it the day afterwards. That's a beautiful silver lining that you put on that. Um, I mean, we're not. I mean, usually, they. I mean, when when Felipe did it, the the really dumb ones. You right. You remember that? It sticks out. Yeah. And you call Those, it out. That Kentucky one. Uh, <laughs> boy, that that one is going to live in my memory for probably the rest of my life. Or the uh, the Miami one at the end of the game. I mean, oh yeah, these yeah. these stand out and. Uh, the other one didn't, so I'll pull it up in the meantime. But what about um, the running game? How are we how are we feeling there? Um, not great. You know, I it we we finally got some stuff moving um, with Pierce in the second half. It felt like uh, it was predominantly Pierce uh, running well in the second half. Um, but it we we should be able to run easier than that on what is probably the worst run defense in the sec um I don't, there might be one or two that are worse but their tennessee's run defense is really bad and uh and we should be able to run at will on a team like that and we just weren't it was still a struggle in the first half yeah and i've seen a, a few articles or people commenting on how we were really 
trying to force the run game in this because we knew that we had them where we wanted them. Um, so we were trying to see kind of different combinations, what worked. Yeah, it did. It did work a lot better when Pierce was in and I'm not going to lie. That's exactly what I've been wanting. I'm really kind of hoping he has more opportunities. I don't want to take away from Pirine necessarily, but I think we need to get Pierce in a little earlier and um, let him see if he could sort of work some magic and then let Piran come in and just kind of take advantage of what opens up based on that. Yeah. And, and I guess that, that kind of seemed like what, what happened yesterday. Um, so it's nice. Yeah. It's nice to just kind of leave a game, not furious at the quarterback for the mistakes that he made kind of thinking, you know what, those are some mistakes. They happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think he had some ball control issues too, just with that. He had a fumble. Sure. Um, hopefully that, is more due to just him not playing in in a direct competition game very much because it's a lot different playing in practice and having when when you're in a game people are going to be just swiping at that ball a lot more and that was yes. Tennessee's goal they needed the forced turnovers and something that he may not have been as ready for as he could have been you know that was I thought the other thing that um that was probably attributable to him not playing much is just sort of the situational awareness of when the pocket is collapsing behind him. Um, I thought that we did a pretty good job protecting him. Um, I, I think our pass blocking up front is pretty good. Uh, but you know, it, he just, he wasn't aware on a couple plays and that fumble was one of them, uh, just trying to hold the ball too long and, and find an open man. That's probably the most worrisome thing for me from this, uh, him lacking experience there with these types of plays. Uh, the interception thing, um, he seems kind of, I mean, I don't know how to put this other than he just seems smart enough not to make too many that are going to that are gonna be horribly devastating. I do think he's going to have a few pick sixes uh, just with some of the throws that he makes. Yeah. I think that's going to happen. Somebody's going to bait him into one. He's already shown he throws balls that are capable of being returned to the house. And so I think we're going to see that, but the the interception thing seems kind of fixable. And it seems like he might limit that the fumble thing needs to be fixed, even though it's fixable. I think Mullen kind of alluded to that in this press conference too afterwards. And, and I guess this, this raises the question that you had asked in the chat uh, is Trask a better quarterback than Felipe Franks. Uh, unequivocally, I think he is um, in multiple ways. I think he is showing he's a better quarterback right now. Now, I want to make it clear I'm talking about at this very moment. I'm not talking about what he could be because I don't think Kyle Trask can be some superstar NFL passer. We saw a lot of kind of limp noodle passes. They're not, they don't have a ton of zip. They're not just flying into these holes. He's making the smart throw. Um, he kind of does what uh, I think somebody had saw, I saw somebody mention does what Drew Brees does, Drew, Drew Brees does, but on a much lighter level too. Even Brees can fit it into windows. Um, and then the other thing that I think he's better at is that he's a better fit for the offense that we have right now. We have these superstar wide receivers out there, a ton of them, all experienced. I think four seniors, and then. We have Grimes out there who is just a beast and potentially could go to the NFL right away. Tony's not there, but we put in Copeland and another kind of great receiver who can make things happen. Um, Kyle Pitts is just some superstar. So he just has so many more weapons than we've had in the past. 
and we need somebody who can get in there and actually make use of them. Uh, our, our run game, as we said, is just complete garbage right now. So we need to be able to take advantage of what we can, making the, the short throws when they're needed. Uh, Franks was not making that happen. So we had zero run game. We weren't taking advantage of our superstar receivers. And Franks' one skill, throwing it deep, well, I'm not even sure if that's really his skill, but it's just it was really easy to kind of game plan against him and to take that away. And I think Trask brings a little more to the table in regards to maybe forcing a defense to potentially have to back off. We'll have to see how he does against a real defense, but he's doing that, and I don't think Franks is capable of doing what Trask did the other day. What are your thoughts? No, I, you said it all. I, I, I completely agree. It, he's just he's a better decision-maker. He's a faster decision maker, and he's someone who can distribute the ball. Um, and that's really what we need this year because we can't run. Um, and I don't know if that's going to change a whole lot throughout the year. Certainly hope it does. But, uh, you know, if it doesn't, then we have the receivers to still take advantage of teams. Um, I think even teams that are good in, uh, in defending against the pass because that's probably Tennessee's strongest point as a team. And we took advantage of them nonetheless, even though they knew we were going to pass. They knew we wanted to pass. They knew that we couldn't run on them. Um, and we we threw it all over him. Yeah, it makes me makes me smile that Pruitt almost seemed like he was trying to bait Mullen into trying to run because he knew that we weren't going to be able to. And, um, you know, we, we did it a little bit or you know, tried, tried to get it going a little bit. But, yeah, Trask just picked it apart. And uh, I think I'm looking at this right now. Florida had five players with at least three receptions, seven with at least two. So like you said, distributing it around and actually taking advantage of all these weapons we have. Somebody's going to be open and somebody's going to be able to make the catch. So use them. It was always just so disappointing having um, having a game. And, you know, we Franks would have 200 whatever yards and only one or two receivers would kind of make up a majority of that. That's frustrating. Yeah, it sure is. That being said, we both agree Trask is a better fit, maybe a better QB, and just a better fit right now for us. Are you pissed off or upset that he hasn't been starting up to this point? Yeah, sort of. Um, it It's defensible. I understand why he hasn't been starting, because he doesn't bring the run threat that Mullen wants. Um, but I am frustrated that that Mullen is so stubborn in, in continuing in a course with the quarterback that is just not going to get the job done and not going to give the team what it needs. You know, it, uh, there were, it, it goes back to when Trask was injured last year. Uh, he was going to be the starter that week. And so maybe this is, maybe this looks completely different. And, you know, it's, it's easy to say that, he should be starting, but I guess it's defensible that you would go with Franks after what he did uh, down the stretch last year. But there were there were times in the Kentucky game that I was wondering why we were still putting Franks back out on the field before he got hurt, and you know it was there it was obvious that a change needed to happen. And so I guess I, I'm I'm not necessarily upset, but I am curious as to what point it would have gotten to before that change was made. And I think both of us 
would probably agree that the point would have been a lot later than any of us would have liked. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even just the point of being way too late. Um, I think we would have, we would have lost a game, if not multiple games before we saw that change, in my opinion. And those games would have come. I mean, we would have lost Kentucky. Who knows if we would have lost Tennessee. It's hard to think that we could have, but maybe. And um, those were just two losses we could not afford to have. So very important that this happened, I guess, and that we were able to get Trask in there. I think um, you'd mentioned defensible. And it's an interesting word because a lot of things Mullen does are very defensible in that you can make an argument and you can see kind of a sensible argument as to why he did it. Um, We are only able to see so much. We're only as good as our eyes. And I think that a majority of people saw that Franks was struggling and that even though maybe, I mean, Mullen had said that he had taken some steps forward. I don't think many of us saw that at all. Uh, The national media obviously did not see it. I don't know if I saw it necessarily. I thought I might have at first, but then as kind of each of the games were going on, I just saw a lot of the same shit that I saw before. So I don't know how defensible it is. We don't see practice at all. A lot of the people who watch practice all kind of argue that it's very, it was very obvious there and that we need, I mean, they all practiced against the ones and the twos and they alternate all the quarterbacks. All three of the quarterbacks get to see everybody. So they're, you know, kind of on an even footing in that regard. And Franks was still winning it, but it's just really hard for me to believe it that, I mean, this guy comes in and he does exactly what he's been doing every single other time he came into the game. I mean, the Missouri game, he did this. Um, and I, I honestly, I don't really watch the spring games. I'm going to be, I'm going to be real. It's, I feel like they're a waste of time, but I know after spring games, people tend to get very excited or very upset. And I want to say one of the spring games, people were like, why are we playing Trask? Why isn't he in there? I might be wrong on that one, but yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty annoyed and not, not upset and Mullen himself because this is just kind of who he is. Right. And if, maybe if it was just this one-off thing, it wouldn't be so frustrating, but to see him do it this much with so many players, um, and right. then another example would be Sean Davis coming in and finally having a chance to play and just crushing it. it it's a little aggravating that yeah. he's just so set and stubborn on playing certain guys. It's up. It's a little upsetting, but not necessarily surprising. Like it's, you know, it's kind of exactly what I expected. It's what we're going to get from him. And I don't think that's ever going to change. So that's going to be something to watch going forward too. Uh, we're going to have some years where it's going to be even more extreme than this. And this would have been one of those, I think, with Franks and Trask. Yeah. Um, and I think that he was forced into something that ended up working out better for the team or that looks like it's going to work out better for the team. And if he wasn't there, I think there would have been some controversy and a lot of frustration. Yep. Um, what do you think of uh, playing Emery yeah. while, while we were still sort of, before we had stomped on their throat? Yeah, and uh, first of all, first off, I need to point out that um, that hammer. I was right. It was it was definitely more of a ninety ten thing, not some seventy thirty bullshit. Um, yeah. We saw a lot more Trask. So in your face, fucker, if you listen to this. But <laughs> he won't. But yeah, yeah. So we, I, I did expect to see Emery come in at some point. Of course, he comes in at a time where 
were about to kind of maybe, I'm trying to remember exactly when, but I felt like we were about to possibly put it away. So we're like, yeah, let's throw Emery out there. And then all momentum stalled out and we kind of give Tennessee a chance to get back into the game. And that again, just kind of frustrating that we're so reliant upon that rushing quarterback aspect. I get the whole side of wanting to keep Emory happy. Um, I think I saw some stats that our running game actually improved when he was in there, which wouldn't surprise me too much. But what, what do you think? I mean, momentum versus having that rushing threat versus maybe keeping a player happy for the future. Well, it yeah, there's certainly a lot of value in keeping Emory happy for the future um, and probably some value in getting him reps against a Power 5 opponent, SEC opponent, perhaps a name only, but they are you know a, a, a talented team, if not one that's prepared to win. Um, so there is some value in that, but I, I did not care for it uh, at the point in the game that he was put in in the first half. Uh, it just completely stalled out our momentum. The play calling was obvious. It was painfully obvious. And and our rushing did improve when he went in in the second half, but that was also basically garbage time. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I don't think either of us were really looking to have some monster rushing game in the second half either. I I think all of us realize Tennessee is a bad team. They don't have very much depth. I expect us to be better conditioned and just better overall. So us getting basically no rushing yards in the first half and 100 or whatever it was that we finished up with, which might not have even been, even been that much, but getting that in the second half just doesn't really do anything for me. So switching to the defensive side of the ball, um, what what did you see that you liked? What did you see that you didn't like? Well, I love Bernie in there. I'm going to say that first and foremost. I think he adds a very important layer to this team in the ability to cover a tight end. Tennessee actually had a pretty good tight end, I think. Um, and we we were able to sort of shut that down for the most part. Um, I think he's huge for what we try and do. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things that stand out, having him and Reese back there just absolutely monstrous. And it's nice being able to rotate those guys, but Reese is just this huge run stopper. That's what he does. And Bernie can just kind of do a bit of everything, but he was a safety in high school. Um, and he's able to cover these guys. And against teams like Auburn, LSU, and especially Georgia, they're going to be targeting us with their tight ends, especially with our superstar uh, NFL-bound cornerbacks. They're going to be going at the tight ends and safeties, or at the uh, linebackers and safeties with their tight ends. We need somebody who can stop it, and I think Bernie is just the key to that. Definitely. Completely agree. Um, I, I think I really liked most of what we did defensively. Uh, we played some really sound football. The, I, I feel like the tackling has gotten significantly better to this point in the season. There were yeah. only two or three that I noticed that, that irritated me, but um, it's, tough to, it's tough to shit on a uh, victory where you hold your opponent to three points. Uh, you, you really can't. I mean... We had uh, multiple turnovers, a few interceptions, I think three interceptions. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember how many sacks we had, but we got in there a few times. We did exactly what we should have done against a team like that. The team was not a very strong offensive line. Which, that's you can hope for. So the, the tackling, that's something that has improved quite a bit. What else do you think has improved for this team? Yeah, the um, the tackling thing, just to kind of hit on that for a second more, it's, you know, you start off 
kind of rough. We did this last year too, I think, where it started off kind of rough and then it improved throughout the year. I, I think that is going to be more and more common in college football because there, I know there are some more restrictions that they have that they've put in recently with tackling. Sure. Um, they've kind of limited it to try and limit injuries, and that's kind of in their the fall camp and everything. So I think that's something that shouldn't be this huge issue. It looked like it was pretty solid for this game, and I think it's going to be pretty solid for the most part here on out. We'll um, kind of continue. Yeah, so just major improvements. Uh, yeah, the tackling and just the overall coverage. With Bernie in there, I think he just adds the ability for our defense to actually reach kind of elite levels, and I don't think we were there before. I still don't think we're there right now. We need Zuniga back for that. But uh, the defensive line looked excellent. And I know Tennessee's offensive line is bad, but it was really nice seeing Bogle come out there. And he he made a, a presence of himself. I saw Diabati in there, too, I think, a few times. And he seemed like, um, I think he had missed a tackle maybe. But he he looked pretty good for the most part. Um, I thought Marco Wilson had a really good game. I know Juwan Jennings had uh, probably their only actual movement of the ball but i thought marco did well he was covering and um kind of making things happen back there so i thought the defense just as a whole improved we've already kind of hit on trask what about you no i i agree um you know it's we're we're getting slowly but surely better um on offense and on defense the problems that we saw in the first couple games seem to have been almost entirely cleaned up i think we're playing at at or near what I think our potential level is, given who we have on the roster, given our talent level. I, I think we're going to continue to be soft against really good running teams, but I think that's a function of a lack of depth on the interior defensive line. But I don't necessarily know that there's anything you can do to improve that in the midseason. We're, we're somewhat soft there, but we aren't terrible. Right. I, I think um, I, I will say a potential way for it to improve kind of up front is something that we have zero control over, but Brenton Cox getting that waiver could actually make a pretty big difference up there. I know he's kind of a rush end, um, but supposedly he came in and was sort of dominating from the get go, just doing a fantastic job. Having him in there allows for a bigger rotation and may allow some other guys who otherwise are forced to play outside a little bit extra to kind sure. of move inside and kind of add to the rotation for the defensive tackles and kind of keep them a little fresher. So I don't know for a fact that it'll help, but it's something that can't hurt on the D line. It'd be nice to see that at least because yeah, uh, I, I worry about getting run all over. And I think that would be the only way a team can kind of beat us right now. Um, that is the concern, but uh, fortunately there's really only I'm trying to think, is there anybody other than Georgia that we think can really do that? Because I don't think LSU is that kind of team this year. Yeah, normally they are, but this year they haven't seemed like it. Um, Burrow is kind of just chucking it all over the field. And uh, Auburn, uh, I think they've run the ball a good bit. I know, um, was it Bo Nix? He, he has very limited passing stats. They seem to be winning anyways, but I don't know if their That's offense true. is doing much either. That's true. I... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to expect from that game. Nobody does because it's Auburn. <laughs> I think they can move the ball a good bit. But yeah, George is going to be kind of the real test there. Uh, Swift is obviously a fantastic running back. And their line is going to be the best line we've seen all year. So that'll be a huge test right there. Yeah. Did you have a chance to watch 
Georgia, Notre Dame. I did. Yeah, I, had, I watched a few games yesterday. Um, had a really, or yeah, had a great time watching multiple, which is nice. I don't always get that chance. Uh, Georgia, they were interesting. I really expected beforehand them to just kind of put Notre Dame away pretty quickly, and they didn't do that. And then it started to look like they'd sort of follow the Saban Bama footprint or blueprint of you know, slowly strangling them away and then, you know, kind of turning it on near the third, fourth quarter when depth just takes over and then blow it out 31 to 10 or something. I think that was the score that I predicted at that point. But they could just never run away with it. I was a little surprised. What about you? Yeah, um, I watched most of that game. I was pretty tired and had had some beverages. So I was I was fading in and out in the second half. But yeah, I I was definitely expecting them to blow Notre Dame out. Um, and that just, it didn't happen. Now, part of that is that Notre Dame actually looked a lot better than I was expecting them to. I was expecting them to drop off pretty significantly from where they were last year. Uh, but they, they played a really solid game, but it's tough with Georgia to know, like, was it an intentional, like slow playing? I I couldn't get a feel for if they were actually struggling or if they were just being super conservative. It makes me think of something interesting that you bring up right there. Uh, in in a lot of their big games, they seem to have that. I know last year against us, I felt they were just slow play, playing us the entire time. And I thought that was the right strategy too, mind you. But Kirby Smart in these bigger games, he seems like when he has these kind of tougher decisions to make and if they uh, are kind of ahead or you know doing well, he doesn't want to put his foot on the team's neck he kind of goes into more of a conservative mindset and um i I think in the game yesterday i'm trying to remember specifically when it happened but they had a point where i can't remember they're up maybe one score and they ended up kicking a field goal or maybe they were up two scores but they ended up kicking a field goal to keep it two scores and i thought that was just the the biggest loser move kind of must champ style move that I could ever right. see. And I was just, I was really surprised. They didn't, it was fourth and one and um, they had a chance to really put it away. You know, their defense had been crushing the other uh, Notre Dame for the most part, or at least just stifling them at that point of the game. So I was really surprised. So maybe it's more of a, that's just how Kirby plays these types of games. Yeah. No, I like that's, I, I think that is what it is. Like it's, they have the ability to stomp on people, but He's just so conservative and so willing to grind out like a one score win that they're they aren't blowing people out unless they are several tiers of talent uh, above them. Yeah. And then uh, just like uh, when they had that what was it? I think it was Dan Wilkin who was tweeting about this, but he was saying, you know, the, the one time that they really kind of turned on the gas and kind of had Kirby's outstanding victory was that Oklahoma game where they fell way behind and they were forced to kind of start going for it. And it yeah. worked for them because, you know, they're just loaded with talent. I don't know if they're going to ever really do that. Uh, I I do think that these coaches just kind of have their overall philosophy that got them there, and they're not going to really get away from that. It's You don't see them really change it. So I think this is what we're going to get from him. Whether or not that's going to hold him back, I don't know. But I think that it could actually be a good thing for us in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's any any time a coach leaves the door open like that, you know, it's going to be taken advantage of at some point, no matter how talented his team is. Um, 
And so hopefully we're that team that can take advantage of it. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, any other games that kind of stand out to you? I watched almost all of FSU Louisville. Um, <laughs> yes. As we all do, I think all, all of Gator Nation has been watching these very closely. I was I was very impressed by their ability to come back and put away a two-win Louisville team uh, at home and hang on for a close-fought victory. Um, yeah. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious there, but, uh, you know, they <laughs> it just like it's it's just the same story with them of uh, building a first half lead and then slowly letting it slip away throughout the second half. Uh, and the difference this time was obviously they were able to to put their foot back on the gas. Yeah. Um, and Yeah. And, and you know what? Maybe that's a sign of improvement. Maybe. Yeah. Could They're be. very excited about that. I can tell you that um, they're very excited. Uh, they're very excited about Hornibrook. They are horny for Hornibrook. Horny Hornibrook, yeah. Whatever, whatever it is, um, he had pretty much similar stats to Blackman. I didn't actually, I didn't get to catch a lot of this game. It was kind of in and out. I was driving through just bumfuck nowhere, so some of it was just cutting off for me. So I, I actually don't know if Hornibrook just looked better overall, but their stats were pretty similar. Um, they had the one. 60-yard touchdown where Terry was not covered uh, with the cornerbacks blitzing, and he was actually blitzing from Hornibrook's first read. So it was probably the easiest throw he's ever made in his life where he was already looking that direction. The cornerback blitzes. Nobody's covering Terry. There's no safety. So boom, 60-yard touchdown. Wonderful play on his part. Um, I can't take it away. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can't take away that he made the play. That's great and all, but it's, um, it, it is less than Frank's throwing that 66-yard touchdown to Tony. So we'll just leave it at that. I, I was at the uh, the Cal Ole Miss game, which was a uh, a very interesting one. You know, it was a fun game. Uh, they, it was close, which I always enjoyed that. There was something interesting at the end there, and it's happened in a few different games now where I've been driven absolutely insane by this, whether or not I care about the team or not. I'm seeing places where there should be obvious replay happen, and these guys aren't calling it. And it's driving me fucking nuts. Do you kind of see that happening more, or am I just kind of noticing it more right now? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It seems like we've seen things like that quite a few times this year, uh, and that one was especially egregious. I mean, there's a game earlier this year where they had a second left on the clock, and it was obvious, and it's at the end, and they were trying to like stop the clock for time, or I think he ran out of bounds and tried to like hit his foot out, and the ref just like, yeah, fuck it, I'm going, and he's just gone. How do you, how do you not? see if there's a second left like i know i know the clock says zero but of course the stadium's going to say that especially if you're at the away stadium i don't get it um the referee in this game called it short uh, i've seen a few angles it was really close um i could see it going either way and it looked like one where they might have just said uh, the, the ruling on the field stands but who knows how does the referee who's half an inch away from the goal line when he says, yeah, it's short. How is he so convinced that it's short that he doesn't say, hey, maybe we should do a replay on it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. There's, um, I don't know how you, how you can fix something like that. It, it's, it's still an issue in the NFL from time to time, at the highest level of the sport, the officiating. It's still an issue. I mean, does there come a point where if you're within half a yard that you automatically review it? I mean, they, they're, okay, so I'll put it this way. They automatically review all touchdown plays but what about plays an inch short of the touchdown? They don't do that. So maybe there's a way to kind of include those as part of touchdown plays where it could be called the touchdown, it might not. The ref doesn't call it, then they don't 
automatically review it. Maybe they should. You could you could add a, a situational element to that as well, and you know add in uh, that it's automatically reviewed if it is close to the goal line with under X amount of time left in the game. Because if you were to do that on every play that was close to the goal line, that would pretty significantly inflate the the length of a lot of games which i'm sure they don't want they probably prefer this right. anyways but it's just um it's the kind of situation where what's the point of review if you're not going to review that kind of play at the right. end exactly yeah so uh that that was frustrating to see just because i was looking forward to overtime uh, this brand new quarterback could come in uh, john reese plumley guy who was committed to georgia they were going to gray shirt him and then he said yeah i don't want that so he ended up going to Ole miss having never stepped foot in oxford before in his life um, he stepped in and he looked like a uh, freaking Lamar Jackson out there, which surprising. If you look at him, he doesn't look like Lamar Jackson, but he plays like him. So I was yeah. looking forward to an overtime with him and I was kind of, that was robbed from me. So I'm pretty pissed off about that. Is he, is he going to supplant Corral as the starter? It's hard to say. Uh, I, I think, I don't think they're going to do that, but I, I, they're going to be bad this year. So they're in a position where, they can get him in, get him some playing time, and maybe there comes a point where he does take over. I don't think it'll happen quite yet, but he looked better, and maybe it was because the other team wasn't ready for him. Right. But he just, he just kind of seemed like he had more of that it factor, whereas Corral, uh, he has a lot of skills. He seems like he has the opposite of that it factor right now, um, which good that we didn't get him in that case, but um, he has not impressed me at all. No, I would agree. Yeah, but uh, Plumlee looked good. Uh, one other game that I wanted to mention was, uh, and I got to see the end of this, was Miami barely holding on uh, to beat Jim McElwain's CMU, whatever the fuck they are. I mean, like that team, that CMU team, Jim McElwain aside, they are probably the least talented team in FBS football. Yeah. And... Uh, like, how do you let them hang around with you? I just really hate to see that. It, it's it's very upsetting to see. Yes, distressing. Just to watch him struggle so much against McElwain. Uh, yeah, that I was really sad, actually, that we didn't get to enjoy the fruits of Jim McElwain beating Manny Diaz because that would have been glorious. My God. Just a beautiful... A beautiful cherry on top of that shit Sunday. That that would have been, you know, we beat Miami this year. I expect us to beat up on Florida State this year, but honestly, that would have been the highlight of Big Three trash talk that happening. So that was taken away, but at the same time, the fact that they even struggled, whew, yeah, that's um, they were they were hopping around in the locker room celebrating, and yeah, I get it, the win's a win, but they have a ways to go there. A lot of their problems, um. I lay at the feet of Mark Richt, but that's not one of them. You you can't you can't let that happen ever. And I and I'm going to confidently say that I think that Towson probably has similar talent level to Central Michigan. I mean, that's just the worst team in the FBS and the top of the FCS, probably right up there. Yeah, for sure. So I think we're going to get together on Wednesday and we're going to talk about recruiting primarily. Yeah, big time recruiting episode coming up for those who. Love that kind of thing. I think it's a good time to get into and it. And it sounds like Hammer Suit will be joining us on that one. Yep. We have a, we have a lot to cover, and uh, yeah, he'll be there with all of his knowledge. He's going to bring some stories from um, kind of the NFL side of things, but we're going to have a really good episode coming up. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely.
Well, thank you for joining us uh, for this recap episode from Beating That Tennessee Ass. Go Gators. Go Gators.